right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. It's been going on a while. It has been going on a while. If you've never been here, welcome. If you have been here, how are you? What's going on? You all right? I hope the weather is not totally catastrophic where you are. I uh, am in L.A., and I got to be honest with you, the last few days, the weather has been perfect if you're in California for the California experience the weather has been perfect a little hot but not like oh my god I'm gonna die not that hot which is good if you're out there you know in front of studios with signs holding the line I want to uh Show my support, give my support, speak my support to my union brothers and sisters. I am in, I am a dues-paying member of the WGA and uh, SAG-AFTRA. But the truth is, their demands are not being met. Their reasonable demands are not being met to earn a wage that would entitle them to make a, a decent, okay living for the profession they've chosen with the protections they deserve in the new media landscape. It's important. It does affect uh, the art and the business of movies and television. And well, let's just break it down a little bit because I had to learn myself. uh, And there are some things we can and can't do on this show now in support of the strike. So SAG-AFTRA, the actors, struck because the actors were not offered a fair contract by the Alliance of Motion Picture and television producers. That's the trade association that represents the major movie studios, the broadcast television networks, the streaming services, and some cable TV networks. And it's just, look, there was also talk uh, a week or so ago, it was a fact that these entities, these uh, movie studios, broadcast television networks, streaming services, some cable networks, we're going to try to starve the writers out. So the timing is good. It's supportive. It's a big day and a big week and a big action for unions in general in this business. Now, here are the key issues. Uh, Compensation has been eroded with the rise of streaming, obviously. Rules need to be changed for both upfront pay and residual payments. They kind of got away with some stuff for a lot of years here now with no back end for the writers and actors. As artificial intelligence is used more in productions, a contract needs to protect the identities and the work of the union members going forward. Obviously, like I don't look, I'm, I'm not at the table, but I don't know why this stuff isn't just declared out and out animation. But maybe that's a conversation. Now, the deal is SAG-AFTRA was not offered a fair agreement that addresses all the terms I just mentioned. While the union is on strike here at WTF, we will not be booking anyone to promote anything that's the product of the companies in the trade association. The union guidelines do say that any pre-banked press appearance that was agreed upon and completed before the strike date of Thursday, July 13th is permitted to air or be published. We have a few interviews that are are banked from before the strike, and we will still air those interviews to discuss the guest's life and work. Like, for instance, today's interview with uh, Killian Murphy was recorded on June 27th. Now, you know, this is a big deal. Because I, I don't I don't guess with people's perception of what we do out here in uh, in Hollywood or, or just to say or what we do in show business, you know, just how many people are involved and what it means to be paid fairly. I, I mean, whatever your job may be and however much you make, 
the unions are there to protect you. Uh, somehow or another, over the last 50 years or so, the, un- the unions have, have been demonized and broken down. But these unions out here are pretty fucking strong. And they're not asking for anything but a, a, a fair deal. I mean, it doesn't matter what you think of how much money actors make or how much money writers make. There's a lot of actors and writers that, that make little that don't make much, that are working to get by. Background actors, for instance, could get screwed entirely if they're not uh, represented properly by the union, by a deal. They could just be made up. They can just, they're, you know, almost any actor, just take their face and their body and you know throw it into the magic machine and you can produce the, the zombie version. I mean, that's a big deal. I, I, I don't know much about it. Uh, I know it's frightening and I know that on some level, parts of it are inevitable. But the deal is the deal needs to be fair and it needs to represent this stuff. And I, I, I have hoped that it will. So I struggle sometimes for many years to maintain my health insurance. You know, obviously when I, for years when I wasn't working in the union, uh, I had to go to Cobra. I had to go to Kaiser. I had, you know, there is something about being represented by a union that, that does feel like you have a voice, like you're protected, and, and it's definitely um, the only way with some professions that you have any traction against corporate bloodsuckers and exploiters. Now, granted, in this particular uh, instance, the exploiters are entertaining you. Well, we'd like to think, as actors, writers, and creators who are represented in this union, that we are necessary. We are a necessary part of that. And that we deserve compensation that is relative to the insane, greedy cash grab that streaming companies and their parent companies uh, are getting. It's, uh, it's really kind of an amazing thing to see union action and to see it still alive. There's, I, I think there's a bit of momentum on behalf of a lot of unions post-COVID. If we can get back to that, if we can be- get back to just you know, trying to get people a fair wage and get some health coverage in a, in a, in a reasonable way, in a safe way. It's, uh, it's really the way it should be. But there are forces within certain political factions and business factions that uh, will do anything not to do that. Child labor laws are being broken down in some states. Yeah, that's where it goes. God forbid corporations compensate their workers properly who were grownups trying to raise kids. Why not just get the kids into the factory at the machines? Yeah. 11, 12. Why not? They have hands. Why not lose them? So maybe that's a little extreme, but that's what's going on. So that's the deal. I'll be at Dynasty Typewriter tomorrow. That's uh, Tuesday, July 18th, and also next Tuesday, July 25th. Then I'm back at Largo on Thursday, July 27th. I'll be at the Salt Lake City Wise Guys on August 11th and 12th for four shows. Then I'm at the Las Vegas Wise Guys on September 22nd and 23rd, also four shows. And in October, I'm at Helium in Portland, Oregon on October 20th through 22nd. You can go to WTFPod.com for tickets to all these shows. And if I add shows, I'll let you know. These club shows are primarily to, uh, to work out whatever the hell I'm working on. I mean, that's, that's what's happening. That's, uh, I, I guess I'm just going to keep doing it. So I was in New Mexico. I, I don't know if I really talked to you about that. But uh, if I did, I'll say it again. My dad is, 
is hanging in there. He hasn't changed much since the last time I saw him a few months ago, still, you know, tethered to the reality, still able to uh, remember things and engage. Had him laughing a lot. I remember I told you that. But there's a story I, I forgot to tell you, which I think is is something that has some kind of broader relevance is that, you know, before my dad got ill years ago, uh, he was in trouble. And it was one of those things where I, I couldn't really wrap my brain around, you know, what was happening or, or, or what was going on with him. But, you know, years ago, he was uh, the prescribing doc at a, uh, at a pain management clinic that got busted. There was a big crackdown on pain management in general with the opioid em- epidemic. And the one my father worked at was, was, was busted by the, uh, the feds. And, and he was accused of overprescribing. And, and I just never, it never sat right with me. My dad was just not that guy, you know? And I had told him even when he, years ago, when he was going to get into the business as a prescribing doc, I said, you know, you're going to be dealing with drug addicts and you should really know what drug addicts are because they're going to be around and they're going to be, you know, worming you. And, but pain management was this weird, vague thing that, you know, was the gateway to the opioid epidemic. But my dad was working in earnest and I, you know, I don't, I can't speak for his partner, but, but when they cracked down, you know, my dad got dragged through the mud for overprescribing. And these numbers were like, you know, ridiculous. Like they were completely ridiculous. Now, so my dad, you know, kind of went broke and, you know, with legal defenses against civil lawsuits and whatnot. And I just never could, it just never, I, he, he always said he was guilty of not, of nothing. And, and I, you know, I, I, he just wasn't that guy. So it turns out, and this is the part of the story, you know, they wrote an article on my old man in the goddamn paper and dragged him through the mud and made an example of him in his hometown, caused him tremendous stress had to give up his license, had to go bankrupt. He had to, you know, he, you know, he was publicly shamed. And then it turns out his wife, I mean, I, they told me the story the last time I was there, but I I heard it again. And I just, I I think it has broader implications is that my, my dad's wife reached out to the FBI and he had been vindicated, totally vindicated like a couple of years ago. They never informed my dad's wife or my dad that after a, a full investigation, he'd been totally vindicated because somebody had stole the script pads. Now, I don't know if his partner uh, colluded or not. I can't make any accusations, but it was not my dad. Somebody either sold all the script pads or just writing phony scripts. And the FBI said he was entirely not guilty. But was there an article in the newspaper about that? No. Was there any conversation about it? No. Not as interesting a story, is it? And I imagine that happens a lot. I imagine people just fade back into the background uh, and there's no real traction to uh, vindication. And it's just sort of heartbreaking that this was the sort of last kind of massive event of his life revolved around this horrible situation. And now, you know, his memory of it is fading and i guess if there there is any silver lining to uh to dementia it's that you know the good things fade along with the bad things and along with with all things 
But I thought I should tell that story because no one else is going to tell it. And I know that my, my father and his, and his wife listen to this show. And I just think it's important to know that side of the story. You know, I don't know why the Albuquerque Journal didn't follow up after, you know, making my dad's life a walking hell in the legal. I, I don't know why the FBI didn't reach out uh, in a more uh, quick fashion or to make sure that they knew that, given that he was in in the position he was in. But um, but I'll do it. I'll do it right here on my podcast. My father, Barry Marin, was totally vindicated from all the charges against him by the FBI. All right. It's kind of touching somehow. Fucking sad story sometimes, life. Right? All right, look. Um, this, uh, Killian Murphy interview that you're about to hear was, uh, again, it was recorded, uh, on June 27th and, uh, we're going to talk. Here we go. Telecaster, my first guitar. You want to wear cans? My first guitar. Yeah, yeah, um, like a, what you call it, sunburst. Yeah. Oh, like a tobacco sunburst. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. When did you get that? Like what year? Oh, I was, I was, like uh, eighteen or nineteen. I was working in re- like washing dishes in a restaurant, and I knew the guitar. Yeah. So I got them to keep it for me, and then I worked. I worked like a year to get the guitar. Yeah. Was did it have the white binding on it? Like around the edge, that tobacco sunburst with the white. No, it doesn't have the white. Oh. No, it doesn't have the white. But it's an old Fender, new Fender. I guess so. It's so I guess it's my bought it. So it's like thirty years old. You still got it? Yeah, man. My 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 son plays it now. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the only guitar you got? No, I have a um, I have an SG. I have like a oh yeah, black SG. That's good. Like a newer one. Uh, I can't remember. But that's about twenty years old as well. That's no, a good one. Yeah, I don't, and I have one of those old. I can't remember what it's called. Remember there are these like kit guitars you could buy in the fifties in yeah. like, I have like one of a those. silver tone or something. That's what it is. A silver tone. Yeah, come with the amp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I didn't get the amp. I just got the guitar. Yeah, that's they're, good. They're they're a nice nice sound off those. Yeah, and I like the way they look. Yeah, they're great. They're yeah. great looking. Yeah. So, but the the music thing obviously was a dream. Um, at some point, it totally was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then, then it just died. So, but it's like it's a nice jump to to go to something equally as uh, uh, potentially uh, 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 unlucrative. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it worked out for you. I, I think in the long run, to succeed as an actor in general is even better than succeeding as a magician. Uh, a magician. A magician. Well, that's a tough racket. <laughs> Magicians, but as a musician, you know, musicians like yeah, they do all right for a while. I know. But you really got to land that big uh, money take. It's a young man's game too, isn't it? Yeah, but if you're a young man and you lock in with enough people with a certain sound, you can certainly run that thing into a ground for like 30 years. Well, certain acts. <laughs> yeah, but it's weird, man. I don't know. Lately, I've been going back and um, listening to things and watching things that I saw as a younger man and thought I understood. Yeah. And then I watched them years later, and I'm like, I, don't, I didn't even fucking get any of this. I know. Do you ever do that? Totally, yeah. I did that with you too, oddly. Huh. It's not that I didn't get them, but you know, you get so overwhelmed with you two as a modern rock band. But if you listen to those first two albums, 
they just sound like some guys playing. Yeah. And then that goes away, man. Yeah. Did you grow up with them in there? Yeah, totally. But for me, it kind of started around Joshua Tree. That was my era. Right. Well, yeah. that's when they're bigger than life. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a perfect album. Sure. I think it's an absolutely perfect. And it's, it, if, it's actually, when you listen back to it, it's, yeah. a, it's a gospel record. Sure. Yeah, know? sure. It's all about uh, the Jesus. Yeah. It turns out that a lot of their stuff's about the Jesus. Yeah, but this one, I think, is... Spiritual, a little vaguer. It's not. It's vague. It's less on the nose. Yeah, I adore that record. I put it on regularly, like on a drive. Yeah, it's just a magnificent record. Sure, it is. I remember yeah. when it came out. It was one of those records that you could not avoid. Yeah, it was. It was like it just became like oxygen yeah. for about six months. Do you remember them from when you were a kid? That was the, That was the introduction. I remember I had that on cassette. Oh. But they weren't around in Ireland. Oh, they were huge in Ireland. They of were course. like the biggest thing. Yeah, but they were over here. They yeah, were over oh, here right. like yeah, being, yeah. being famous yeah. and playing but stadiums. Doesn't, doesn't he like go out and busk occasionally? Bono? Yeah. Yeah, he does every Christmas. <laughs> yeah, on Grafton Street. Yeah, he sure does. I went to see him do his one-man show. I hear it's amazing. It's good. You know, yeah. he's like, you know, he's good. You know, he's uh, talking about his dad. and Yeah. But the music's really amazing because it's all stripped down. He, like he does like a handful of songs, but it's only like a cello player yeah and like a keyboard person yeah. and him and that voice yeah 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 he's a he's something he really is <laughs> i read the book i loved it you oh you did yeah i did yeah. I, I read most of it i i, I thought we were going to interview him but then he yeah, i'm uh, surprised you didn't i don't know man you know what i mean I, i'm not magic <laughs> <I can't. laughs> it feels like you yeah. get everyone else yeah, but they got to come around. You know, there's some people. Like, I ran into you. I had no idea you knew the show. Uh -huh. and, I, and I saw you on... Were, were you coming or going to New Mexico? Was that what it was? We were... I was flying with Chris. Down. Yeah. We, we had shot in LA, and we were about to start shooting in New Mexico. That's when I saw you, and I didn't even know Chris or introduce myself or know enough to you say You were anything. unbelievably cool, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we recognized you straight away. Oh, I didn't even put it together. Did I put it together that that was Chris Nolan? I'm like... I'm a fucking idiot, dude. I don't know like who's who or what's what or what. We were sitting even... directly across from you. I know. And then and then afterwards we talked a little bit, and then you said that uh, you said that. No, no. Chris said that he admired your your boots. Yeah. And he also admired your bag. Oh yeah. Did I tell him where I got them all? You did. Oh yeah. yeah that's right. I told him Filson. They were probably Filson. That's or, right. Or something. Yeah, yeah. We had a little conversation about, about that, <laughs> and then we, you said, "Yeah, you're that you were from there," which I didn't. Yeah. Didn't, yeah. And then we. That was it. I went to, that's so funny that like, I didn't even, I'm not sure that, thing, I knew who you were because at some point you scared me. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I was able to, so like, I know that guy, he's the scary guy. <laughs> and then, uh, and then like, I didn't even register Chris Nolan. I didn't know that you're going out there to do Oppenheimer. I, I, like theoretically, you assume that people in Hollywood there were up to speed, but I'm like, <laughs> who's this Chris guy? <laughs> oh my God. He's made a few movies. Yeah. Big movies. <laughs> Yeah. I saw the I saw Oppenheimer yesterday. Oh, and it's did it's, you see it in uh, IMAX? Yeah, I saw it in the whole thing on film, seventy millimeter film, no. IMAX experience. I haven't seen it like that yet. You haven't? No. Nope. You could have gone, but you couldn't get on the list. <laughs> it was, there was nobody there. You had, <laughs> Jordan Jordan Peele was there, and John Favreau, and, and and Elvis Mitchell, and a few other reviewers. There was Ooh. like twelve people in the room. That's pretty cool. But yeah, yeah, the, those guys went. They go see the uh, the master's work. But uh, the movie's great, and you were great in it. Okay, it's quite a process, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I I haven't seen it since January, and it was a little overwhelming when I did see it. So I don't know. My recall or kind of response to it is probably not really accurate. <laughs> overwhelming. It's an overwhelming movie. 
Yeah. That's all that guy makes. I know. But this was like, it's so funny because there's only the second real biopic, this focus that I've seen in the last year. And the other one was uh, with, uh, with Butler as Elvis. Oh, yeah. And it's so funny that the process, like he couldn't, he couldn't shake Elvis. I talked to him <laughs> months after the thing. And he's still having a hard time shaking Elvis, but you, it seems like you've gotten rid of Oppenheimer. Well, yeah, I feel like I'm pretty much back to myself. It was intense. Like, it was it was intense. Yeah. And um, I don't know. You're going to have to ask me a question. Oh, about it? <laughs> yeah. How about that moment where you just walk, go up the scaffolding and go face to face with the first bomb? Oh, yeah. And you just stand there looking at the bomb. Yeah. It's very quick. Uh, that that piece, it's like uh, it's only about fifteen seconds, but I imagine that was a big day. Yeah, in terms of what what you were thinking. Yeah, I mean, it was huge. A lot of the things about this film, though, yeah, the, it's thematically so huge. Oh yeah, and all the questions it poses, all these huge kind of ethical, right, moral kind of paradoxes. Yeah, it's, it's kind of massive, and it's it's very hard to kind of give sound bites about it. You know. You try and you know you try and do it as truthfully and as honestly as as you can and as respectfully as you can. But the the performance, you mean? Yeah, and like yeah. And, and try to get yourself into that headspace. It's just it's it was just, it was a tough one. This one, it was very very complex. You know the way a normal you're playing a normal protagonist. It sure. goes from it, ha, it goes from A to B, and there's a curve and there's an arc, and and yeah. you end up somewhere else. With him, it was so tricky. Like he was kind of all over the graph. In, in terms of his journey and his arc and how he changed and went backwards and how he dealt with, you know, with whatever he was dealing with in his head. Well, yeah, um, I noticed that. I mean, I noticed that, like, when you talk about or you have talked about uh, uh, the seagull, like Chekhov, yeah, yeah. right? So that, that there is something about, and this is something I learned relatively late in my life about the way drama is structured, that that character has to transform. Yeah. And I imagine that makes it very engaging as an actor. But but Oppenheimer, give or take, you know, was struggling with things or, or perhaps weighing things. And he fluctuated. But I, I didn't get the sense that he necessarily, you know, transformed. But the world profoundly yeah. transformed because of him. Yes, because of his actions. Right. Yeah, 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 for so sure. So it's sort of a different game. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's, that's why it makes him a kind of an unusual protagonist. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And and then trying to, because his position, you know, myself and Chris always talked about it, like that he was dancing between the raindrops morally. You know, mm -hmm. that's one way, to, that was very useful to me. That's we interesting. Were, we were shooting it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because there's a, up to the point of the Trinity test. Yeah. It's kind of it's clear enough because there's Germany, they're the bad guys. We need to get a bomb, but then it gets very muddy, you know, when Germany surrender, and then yeah, what do we do? What, do we keep doing we're it? Still making it? Yeah, yeah, we're we're in the middle of this thing. Uh, yeah, we're almost there. Yeah, and that's when it gets very if it gets very interesting dramatically. You know? Well, the, I think that you played it well in that you, you, this thing that you talk about him going back and forth is really like you know what he's weighing is something that no mortal had to weigh ever. And and then on top of that, it's sort of like, how much is a rationalization? Yeah. And how much was it a belief, right? Because all these nerds just want to, you know, see if what they think is correct. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, it's theoretical physics, right. yeah. 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 So it was like, you know... That that's sort of what goes through the movie, and what you know he gets sort of prosecuted or 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 crucified for is his moral compass. But you know he had to somehow weigh in his head that. Well, if we don't do it, they're going to do it. Yeah. And it's going to exist whether we do it or not. Yeah. So let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, totally. 
And, and again, that like you know, there's all sorts of ways. I imagine they they manage to rationalize it or live with it. Yeah, of course, uh, they, some of them. But I thought Chris was pretty smart in those moments, like after, you know, the moment where you speak briefly after uh, the bombings. Yeah. And you're walking through that crowd that, yeah. you know, you have, like, it's very weird as an audience member to see everybody cheering because you're like, Ugh, they don't know what's, this, this is a disaster. Yeah. You know, you can get it, but there's actually, as an audience member, there's sort of a, a moral turpitude within you yeah. watching that. But as you walk through the, cra- walk through the crowd as, as Oppenheimer, clearly there's some people in the crowd that were not handling it well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that was very deftly handled by Chris himself in terms of how, how do you kind of... It's again it, yeah. these themes and the, the reality and the horror and the fucking genocide and all the stuff that happened. Right? How do you kind of put that into a film? And and and, and he did it in this way that is so subtle, I think, uh, and beautifully handled in the immediate aftermath because it's this kind of ju- this paradox or juxtaposition yeah. of like celebration and right. horror, right? Uh, uh, at the same time, kind and, of amazing. Yeah, and how do you do that? I I thought he did it brilliantly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like, and also to make him empathetic if possible. Yeah. But the, it, the bottom line is, though, whether it's a big movie or not, me as an American guy, as a guy who grew up in New Mexico. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I didn't know any of that shit. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, I didn't read the book. Yeah. You know, I knew Oppenheimer, they'd done something out there. So but, did you know about Los Alamos and all that? Would, sure. Like, but, I grew up knowing there was a lab there. Yeah. And I knew, of course, we knew that the missile tests were there. And there's a museum over there. Did you go over yeah, there? Yeah. The Atomic Museum, where's it? Kirkland Air Force Base? Is it there? Oh, actually, maybe I didn't go to that one. Where they actually have models of the two bombs. Oh, okay. No, I didn't go to that Yeah, one. yeah. They, I mean, we went there when I was in school when and kid, stuff. You, sure. Yeah. And, you know, I went to White Sands. But that was not, he didn't have anything to do with that. No. But... I didn't know that they built the fucking town yeah. for him. Yeah. Like, I had no idea that history, and I grew up there. It made me feel stupid, but I, I miss a lot of things. I, I shouldn't beat myself up. I don't know anything. But uh, but so for me, to learn the story, and I certainly didn't know the story afterwards. I didn't even know he was a Jew, and I'm a Jew, and I like knowing when people are Jews. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't even know that. Right. You know, it, it is a fairly thorough telling of that guy's story. Yeah, I think so. Did you read the book? I did, yeah, I did. Yes, you had to. I didn't have to. You know, like, you know, the thing about, like, playing a a real-life character, which I hadn't really done before, certainly not an iconic uh, figure like um, Oppenheimer. Yeah. There's there's a wealth of archival stuff. Uh, You you know, you you can spend months and months and months and months. You can see him talking. Exactly. but, but, But that was also, could be slightly unhelpful because... You know, when he's giving those lectures, and all, sure. that's quite performative. I don't yeah. think that's him, like, right. uh, kind of in a candid setting, yeah. just talking to his buddy. So we, I use them, but but what I'm trying to say is that there's so much there that you can't, if you spent all your time trying to absorb it, you, you're just losing. You know, I think what you have to go after is the kind of humanity and the, the person. Right. And then, ultimately, the script is your main resource. Right. You know, Chris's sure. version of events is what we're telling. Yeah. Uh, so I, that became yeah, the thing that I studied most of all. And then, again, you know, you know, when you're in a scene, yeah. all the all the research and everything that you've done, you kind of just abandon it, and you're in the moment with yeah. the other actor, and it's all about what's happening right there in the moment. Sure. Uh, and and you're trying to be as human as possible in in that. And so once not, you've done all the preparation, exactly. So what I'm trying to say is that it's it's not an intellectual process at that point. It's yeah. a purely instinctual, emotional one. Right. Yeah. But like you know, yeah. like for me, like in and also like talking about uh, Austin, you know, Butler and Elvis. 
that these are two characters. Like these, it's interesting that these are going to be the huge biopics for the last couple of years. You know, they're fairly explosive, if you don't mind the, <laughs> you know, different types of explosions, but nonetheless uh, impactful, yeah. right? And you know, he kind of had to submerge himself in, you know, this uh, this being him. Now, like for somebody like Oppenheimer, I imagine there is some sort of key that you found to his humanity, like, you know, like going into it. Cause like, even when I go into these conversations, like I, I have to find like some place to start. Yeah. Like, you know, where did you start with that guy in terms of like, who is this guy? Do you think that way? I, I do. Of course. At the beginning, it was quite superficial. Uh huh. Um, cause I wanted to get the silhouette and the physicality Right. Okay. Right. You know, sure. because he was a he had a, such a distinctive frame. Yeah. And he was so slim and so kind of like underweight all of his life. It's, yeah. And he just existed on like uh, cigarettes and martinis. And, yeah. Uh, uh, so we spent an awful lot of time with the, you know, co costume. We were, so I, I got the script like six months before we started shooting. So while I was reading all this stuff, I was flying out here. And we were doing camera tests and makeup tests and co costume tests. Right. So I, I really wanted to get that right first. And sometimes, not always, that's a way into the interior. Mm -hmm. So for me this time, in this particular character, the silhouette and the, and the look and the physicality was a good way. In. And then the voice. And then reading a lot about his kind of childhood uh, and particularly his adolescent years. Yeah. Was quite... Helpful. Uh, yeah. And you just kind of put that into your brain? Yeah, you know, that's what you Yeah, think. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, like, I don't trust it, but I imagine yeah, for me. You, know, <laughs> you don't trust some, Myself in that. You know, like, I, I think I'm doing that, but I haven't done enough acting to be convinced that I'm doing it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I really struggle talking about acting. Sure. You know, talking about the process, talking about what it is. And there's all these like stupid cliches, like it's alchemy and it's, you know, and, and it, but it kind of is, it kind of don't know what happens. You do all the work and I love research and I do it all. But ultimately when you get on the floor between you and your partner yeah. and the director, yeah. that's where it happens. Right. That's always, and that's why I don't love rehearsal yeah. because that's where it happens. And I really, really rely on instinct. Yeah. Well, that's, well, that's, you have to, it's clear because that's where the moments happen. Yeah. But like, I, like, I, I don't know how much you know about the, me or the show, but I mean, I have sort of a obsession with Ireland. Yeah. I know you've been there recently as well. Yeah. I was there recently, but yeah. also like, you know, there was a period there where I'm like, I'm going to move there. Well, but lately it's shifted. Because, uh, like, I realize it's too far away. I'm not Irish. <laughs> it's not like they're just going to embrace me. And now I'm doing a whole comedy bit about being the, you know, just the guy in in the sort of in the county where I'm just the the Jew who bought the farm, <laughs> and yeah, how locals are just watching me try to shear sheep, and I'm chasing after them. They're going, it looked easy on the video. So, <laughs> so, so like I've I've shifted a bit, but I'm still sort of uh, you know fascinated with. Uh, how uh, down to earth the culture is, and and the last trip I took, I went to the theater impulsively. Cool, and I don't do that a lot. You know, I, I I wish I went more. It's not part of my life, but for some reason, I was in Ireland. I was in Dublin, and there was something at the Abbey Theater. I'm like, well, fuck it, what? Just go watch it. It sounds interesting, and it struck me differently than my experience with American theater because it felt like it was something that people did in Ireland. That theater was vital. 
somehow. Mm. Am I am I misreading that? No, I think you're right. Uh, it definitely is very vital. Yeah, I saw the the Solar Bones. Oh yeah, that that's an adaptation of a novel. Yes, isn't it? yeah, yeah, that's that right. Mike McCormick novel, it's and the guy was book. Stanley Townsend. Do you know oh, that guy? great actor. Yeah, great great actor. And it's like basically a one man show. Cool. And it was it was that story. The guy's dead. You know. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And it's it's an hour and a half of him sort of. Is it kind of a monologue? Yeah, it's all it's it's all him. Excellent. And and it seemed interesting. And then I wanted to read the book. And then I bought the book. And then I'm like, oh, maybe I should move to Ireland. It all <laughs> ties together. But the experience of going to the Abbey Theater there yeah. and looking at the people that went, it wasn't like, you know, these, the kind of audience you see at American theater. It, you mean like subscription kind of audiences? Right. Yeah. It seemed like people who were like, well, this is something we need to do. Yeah. I think it does exist. I think, uh, uh, you know, it can always be better. But I think there's great, uh, I mean, there's a great tradition of theatre in Ireland. Yeah. You know, and there's a great festival uh, in Galway where I've done a lot of theatre work, the yeah. Galway Arts Festival. Uh, and there's, you know, there's the, the Gate Theatre and there's obviously the Abbey that you're at. Yeah. So it, there's great theatre makers there. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and there's the, the Dublin Theatre Festival. And, and young people do go along, if that's what you mean. Like, it's yeah. not just... It's not just gray hair you see in the audience. Well, what did you like? You don't come from a family that you're not. You're not from a family of artists necessarily. Uh, no uh, teachers. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's supportive. Uh, in what way? Well, I mean, if, I always feel like teachers are—they're not going to be sort of like, "What are you doing with your life?" <laughs> Depends on the teacher, I suppose. Um, <laughs> I guess that's true. I. Uh, I guess I always think of them as as relatively progressive. Yeah. It, well, my mum and dad, they're retired now. They're both mm. teachers. And then my grandfather was a, like a headmaster. Well, that's different. They're, yeah. they're, it's their job to go, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> and then all my aunties and uncles, the majority of them are, are teachers. Where'd you grow up in, in Ireland? In Cork. Yeah, I'd see, that's the one place I haven't been. Oh, man. That's the place? That's the best county. Really? <laughs> I have we... to say that. No, it's, it's beautiful. Cork and Kerry are, are my kind of favorite parts of Ireland. Did I was in Dublin and I drove over to Galway and then we were up in Donegal. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, beautiful. That's where we would spend most of the time. Yeah. It's, that's stunning up there. Yeah. Not much up there. No, which is kind of what <laughs> makes it good. so attractive. But yeah. when you drive into towns, you're like, what happened here? <laughs> 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 but I don't know if that's the right response, but it, it did seem a little isolated in some places. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 But uh, so what... How does it go? Like, do you uh, do you have brothers and sisters? I have. I'm the eldest of four. Four. Yeah. Yes. And are any of them artists? Uh, no, my my not professionally. My brother is an excellent uh, pianist, jazz. Oh yeah, pianist. Yeah, he but can do it. He's really really good. Yeah, and we, he used to play in the band with me when we uh, were, when we were kids. What was that band's called? Uh, we were called the Sons of Mister Green. Jones. Oh, there you go. Yeah. You Could you that? play Zappa? Man, it's hard to play Zappa. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. <laughs> no, we were fans. Not yeah. of the not of the total totally avant avant garde stuff. More yeah. of the kind of like hot rats and yeah, the know, fun stuff. Yeah, that stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, so, so he stuck with it. No, he's he's now a product designer. Oh, uh, yeah. but he can play he's, piano. Yeah, he's really really good at the piano. So there was lots of books around. There was you know. Um, we would go to a lot of music, like traditional Irish music. Oh, yeah? Uh, a lot of sessions in pubs, that kind of thing. Those seem exciting. I don't know a lot about him other than uh, the, the, the Banshees of Inishirin. Like that seemed to capture something about that pub playing business. Yeah. 
Yeah, that it wouldn't be the sort of session that I would have gone to as a kid. That's a very I, I, idealized, stylized, oh, yeah. beautiful sure. ver, ver, version of it. That's a small pub version. Like there's 12 people in the town. Exactly. Yeah. No, no. the sort of sessions I would go to would be a pub in the city and you'd fall asleep under the, 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 the bench. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And then you'd be taken. But there were great, 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 great music. Um, so, but in terms of like uh, creativity, if that's yeah, yeah, what you're yeah. asking, sure. it was around... Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was uh, always from a from a young age. I was interested in story. I was interested in music, and I was interested later on in film. Yeah, but so it starts with with story. Yeah, I love I love stories. Yeah, yeah like like what you're a big reader. Yeah, I love huh. to read. Not novels mostly. Yeah, like yeah. Irish ones. Uh, from anywhere. You but know? do you remember like which one was sort of like holy shit, this is fucking amazing. Uh, in terms of Irish novels, or just in terms of any novel that might have blown your mind. Well, there's a few, like there's a writer in Ireland called John McGarren, who is yeah? a stunning writer, and there's a writer called John Banfield. There's what a writer you? called Claire Keegan. These are like, you know, stories that I discovered, and I've always just been fascinated by story. What it, what what do you think it is about? Well, I mean, story is one thing, but there's something like, you know, maybe I'm romanticizing it, maybe I'm reading into it, but there seems to be something obviously heavy-hearted about uh, Irish, the Irish arts, other than the music, kind of, but the stories and the plays. And there's just something about, I don't know, man, I, I just get this feeling that it's not darkness, but it's sort of like... Uh, Melancholy? Yeah, or, or an acceptance of the darkness. Yeah. Is that, is, is that sort of the type of books those were? Perhaps, yeah. That's always the stuff that I've been interested in. Yeah. You know, that's always the kind of story I've been interested in is that kind of naughty, Gordian, weird, yeah. kind of like fucked up part yeah. of, of, of our human psyche. Right? That's always the stuff I've been interested in. Yeah. You know. It kind of builds uh, your brain. I, well, I think that's the most, That's it's the stuff that's ripe for drama. Yeah. You know, a good man's life is probably quite boring. Where, whereas... The, the other, you know, it's, yeah. not, the mo- it's yeah. not the most yeah. interesting story. If it even exists. Well, it, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of those stories start out with a good man's life, and then we find out, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that guy's not so good. That was interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but do you start, uh, were you like writing? Was the, was the, the idea like what kind of, did you, well, did you grew up Catholic? Yeah, yeah. But not too hardcore? No, and then kind of abandoned it when, as soon as I could, you know. Yeah, a lot of people do. Yeah. Was it, what, what, what was your moment? <laughs> Were you like, I don't really know. Yeah. It was slow. It was gradual. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was just everywhere in Ireland. Every, you know, you just, <laughs> yeah. you just did, you went to mass and yeah. you got to your communion, you got your confirmation and you did all of that. You went to, I was taught by brothers. It was just everywhere. Yeah. But then, you know, as you become, you start to examine things a bit more closely, you begin to question things and it's just, yeah. Yeah, and I imagine the the stories helped with that for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's sure. a, that's always the uh, the the good part about being a sort of sensitive, interested uh, young person is that you start to realize like, no, oh, this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's <laughs> one of the great things about you know adolescence, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's when you know the the fuck you eventually you know sort of starts to settle in. Yeah, yeah. Did you have that in you? Fuck you. Um, yeah, but like in a very like I was in school, I would get I would like get thrown out of class, but it was never malicious. So right, I was just right. a kind of a like a you, you, you weren't you weren't an outlaw. No, not really. No, no. But I was always interested in kind of I was always curious about artists. Yeah, 
because I'd never encountered them, you know? Yeah. I never met any. And, and, and the idea of somebody making a living from making art of whatever form I thought was incredibly romantic. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and they, they seemed very alien to me. And, and I grew up in the 80s in Ireland, so, like, you two were doing it, right? Sure. There was, like, Jim Sheridan and Neil Jordan and yeah. there was a few. But gen, generally... It was hard to make a living. Sure. You know, you know, yeah. you talk about the theatre scene now in Ireland and it's vibrant. Yeah. But back in the 80s and stuff like that, it, it was very hard to yeah. get stuff. Was Tommy on. Tiernan around? Tommy Tiernan, yeah, yeah, he's been around. I heard I heard your <laughs> podcast with Tommy. That was excellent. Yeah. The philosopher. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You guys had a good old chin wag. Yeah. Well, you know, comics. <laughs> But you remember him from when you were a kid? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he was famously on the Late Late Show. He, yeah. He was full of the fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that That's was a, his brand for a while. Yeah. But now he's now he's sort of the wise old man. It's very thoughtful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting to see somebody evolve like that. Yeah, he's a good actor too. He is a good actor, yeah. yeah. All right, so so you, you start to realize like, well, some people would make a living, but not most. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or else you just go away. You know, like people like uh, uh, like Liam Neeson or you know, the, sure. you know Gabriel Byrne. You just oh, go, yeah. you go away. Yeah. Um, so it well it didn't, and really then it works out. There was a part of your brain that's like, oh, I have to leave for this to work well, out. That's a, that's a kind of very common Irish narrative. Oh yeah. To like, I went to London for fourteen years and then come back, and you know that that's that seems to be very common. Yeah. To go away and then to come to come home. Um, well, I guess that's the nature of a small country and a small scene is that, you know, you you have a choice. Like, are you going to roll the dice and mm. become part of the big scene? Yeah. Try to? Or are you just going to settle for your place yeah. that you've worked for in the small scene? Yeah, and I guess that's a, that's a universal thing sure. in small towns. Sure. And, yeah. Small cities. Yeah. yeah. So. What ha- well, so when did you start acting officially? Uh, tw- when I was tw- 20. 20. Yeah. What do you mark as the first, as the beginning, when you got paid or when you got a real role? I mean, did you do it when you were a kid? I, I did um, I did a year of a law degree, which is a, was, was a terrible decision, and I failed, like, spectacularly. What made uh, you want to do that or made you think you wanted to do that? kind of parental oh, right. pressure. Sure, sure. Yeah, and, and, and just me not quite figuring out my path or whatever. Right. But, um, so, and then I did a few plays in in college, like, you know, a, a dr- amateur drama stuff. And then I, there was this theater company that were in Cork City at yeah. the time. And they did a production of Clockwork Orange in this nightclub in Cork City. And it was fucking unbelievable. It was, it was, it was promenade. Yeah. And like, there was techno music and all the, yeah. Uh, um, all the actors said like mohawks and all the droogs were like it was fucking blew my mind right absolutely blew my mind so I then used to I knew the guys that ran the theatre company and I used to kind of see them around in pubs in Cork and I would pester them and eventually I got an audition for a play and I did the audition and I got the part yeah and that was a play called Disco Pigs yeah and that so we toured that for a long time yeah and then eventually they made that into a movie so that's how it started so coming at it though that's one that you were what 19 or something uh, I was that? like nineteen twenty. yeah that so th- it wasn't was it a huge production or just a weird local production no it was tiny it was only two of us it was me and uh, Eileen Walsh uh, my good pal and we and, and it was directed by Pat Kiernan it was written by Enda Walsh who's still my good pal who I'm still oh this is Disco Pig correct yeah but, but the Clockwork Orange thing was oh one. that one that was it was this it was just in the, it was like um, site specific. So they only put it on in that nightclub. So it was kind of this avant-garde kind of thing. Yeah. 
and and it was like an uh, like a happening, like an event, totally. And it was fucking dangerous. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It was dangerous and sexy, and and I, I was just knocked out because I'd never been to the traditional theater. Sure, do you know. But what a great experience to have. Yeah, like I saw a production of uh, Sam Shepard's Tooth of Crime oh, that cool. was put on by a guy that I worked at the restaurant with in high school. And it was crazy. Yeah. Like, I didn't even know what the fuck I was watching. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, my God. I don't know if I understand this. Yeah. But I want to be part of this somehow. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I felt. Yeah. Like. And so Disco Pigs, that was also a small production. You knew the- It started as a very yeah. small production. Uh, and then it toured. We brought it to, like, the Dublin Theatre Festival. And then we brought it to, to the Edinburgh Festival in London. And What's that about? The play, yeah, uh, um, it's about these two teenagers that are uh, like not related, but uh, brought up side by side, and yeah. they develop this kind of patois, this language together yeah. that nobody else can understand. And then the relationship gets very, very heavy and very intense. And then my character wants to, you know, take it to the next level and make it sexual, and this yeah. the other the other character doesn't. It's kind of about the the fracture of the relationship. Oh yeah. So it was very contained, very powerful, brilliantly written, and it kind of exploded, the play did, you know. What, what year was that? 96. And how, how, why do you think it exploded? What was it speaking to? I think it was the language, it was the writing, yeah. uh, and uh, it was a brilliant production uh, and a great soundtrack. Um, and these were all people around your age, the director uh -huh. and the writer and yeah. your co-star? Yeah. And But so you didn't really study acting? No. <laughs> no, but theater for me was, was. No, no, I'm not. I'm not laughing at you. I'm, I love. I love hearing that. I know. I'm. I'm. I. I. I'm. It, it felt to me that like once I started on the stage, that was that was university of you know. Right. What I, mean? I was. I was learning all the time, and you know. You, you know. You do a play. You do it endlessly, relentlessly. We did that play for eighteen months nonstop and toured it all over the place. So you're being directed, you're yeah. working with other actors, yeah. people are chiming in and you're open-minded enough to uh, to take it in. Yeah, man, but it felt for me, it was like a surrogate band. You know, it felt like I was kind of going on tour, except the, not with the band, but with these other pals of mine. And we sure. were like doing the play late at night and going out drinking and having a great time in festivals. So it, 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 I was having the same experience that I would have had in the band that had just collapsed. Yeah, it, it, except you didn't have to be like, you know, you you missed that drum solo. You, <laughs> yeah. you didn't have to yell at your peers <laughs> yeah, exactly. about fucked up notes. Uh, yeah. But how close with the band did you get to like being a band? Oh, we were offered a record deal, but then my, like, our various parents intervened. and Because you were kids? Well, I was of age, but my brother was only 16 or something. And, and then a few of the other parents didn't approve. And it was a shitty deal. It wouldn't have got, worked out. What kind of music was it? It was kind of, you know, we were influenced by Zappa, kind of, yeah. like, kind of like, and acid jazz. Do you remember that acid jazz? Sure. That? So, but we were a bit late to the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was like long guitar solos and kind of, you know. You were doing the solo? No, I played a rhythm guitar. Uh, <laughs> it was, we had an amazing guitar player. No, it's, uh, you know, it wasn't commercial it didn't also didn't it didn't record very well you know what i mean yeah sure we were, it was good live but it didn't yeah. work in a studio very well yeah yeah um so uh so it, it just kind of broke it, apart it, for a lot of different reasons exactly yeah so okay so you toured disco pig for what a year more uh, yeah around 18 months yeah and then you're in you're like this is it this is the life for me I think so, yeah. And then, uh, but then I, I, I got an agent, you know, through that. And then, but then I had a year like in on, Ireland or where? In Ireland, yeah. But then I had a year just on the dole, you know, just at home, like making sandwiches. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> After disco pee? Yeah, watching the telly. So how did that go for you? What was the, the reflection? What were you being sent out for by your agent in, uh, where were you still in, in Cork? Oh, man. Yeah, but I was the I was the shittest auditioner. Like, I was so yeah. bad. Yeah, I, I, that's why I never took up acting. But it's awful, isn't it? The worst. I mean. But I can't imagine what you were going out for, you know, in, in locally. Were you being sent well, I was for in, commercials? I was, and... It was, no, I was in Dublin. Yeah, commercials or, or like. Oh, you went to Dublin? Yeah. Okay. But. I was so bad in a room. I, f I felt so insecure and sort of uh, embarrassed by the whole, you know, atmosphere. Yeah, totally. Because you, you walk in, there's 10 guys sort of all jacked up, <laughs> yeah. ready to do the exact same thing you're going to do. Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I was just full of kind of, I don't know, yeah, insecurity. So I just, I was terrible. Yeah. But eventually you get one job. Yeah. You know, so. And what was that? It was more theater, just more theater. Yeah. Oh, so that, but that's good. Yeah. Right. Yeah, great. I worked with uh, this company in Galway. Actually, drew a theater company. Yeah. Did a few plays with them, and again was learning, watching great actors, watching great directors, and what what happened to the movie of Disco Pig? We did that uh, about four years after the play. And was that that wasn't your first movie? No, I'd done little bits, little parts, but that was a kind of first big kind of lead, I think. Yeah, and how and how was that experience? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. And did the movie get any uh did it, it get any traction? It did well, yeah. It went to festivals and it was small, but I think it got a good response. Was there anything happening to you personally in in terms of how you were experiencing this as as uh, an art or that, you know, that the things that you were doing was it transforming you into something Did you, as you got confident? Did you start to enjoy it more in a yeah, different I, way? I loved be, I loved being on stage. I've strangely I've never felt nervous going on stage. Really? Where I felt really nervous on film. I've never I've always Why just, do you think that is? Because in whatever warped logic I had in my brain yeah. was that you go on stage and if you don't have a very good show, yeah. you can just fix it then tomorrow. The next day? Yeah. And even if yeah. the show isn't going well, you can you can help it along and you can you know you can just you know get it back, but yeah. whereas if you if you're terrible on film, you're terrible forever. <laughs> and I was, so I was, it, 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 I found it really unnatural. And then the you know the when they would say action and everything would stop. Yeah, and like all these electricians and construction guys, sure. and like everyone would just pause and stop, yeah. and everything's focused on you. Yeah. So when I was young, I found that horrifying. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, but the, but there's always the option as you get older. You realize that some directors are like, can, can we do that? Yeah. <laughs> and they're going, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I find that to be you know kind of uh, unsatisfying. What? The the stopping and starting. Yes. With film and television, you know, because you can't really get a role going. You know, you you and you, you realize you're like, oh, this is all going to be put together later. You're shooting at a sequence. All you can focus is on is you know, showing up for the moment that you're shooting. Yeah. And sometimes you're, do, you're literally shooting like, a, you know, three minutes in a day. Yeah. And it's hard to contextualize it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm yet to, for personally, to find it totally rewarding. Yeah. You know, in those moments. Yeah, I think it, I, I think, I think it can be, but you really have to, I, I don't know, you have to be really working with good people. <laughs> sure. I think that's what it is. Uh, 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 people that really push push you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I find that once you kind of accept that you're just given the raw materials, you're just handing it over 
and then they're going to make it into something. Yeah, hopefully. right. You know that. Yeah. Yeah. What was this play? The wind that shook. That shakes the bar. No, that's a, that was a movie. That was a movie. Yeah. Well, what was that? Because like that sounded pretty provocative. I didn't see it. That was a film directed by Ken Loach, and uh, it was set in Cork. Yeah. And it was about well, the War of Independence and the Civil War in Ireland. Right. So, so like this was was that the first time you had to do something that that was that connected uh, to y- the history? Y- yeah. And yeah. like, but what was that like? Amazing. I mean, he's one of my heroes, Ken Loach. Great director, yeah. Unbelievable. In fact, making that film kind of profoundly changed the way I approach working on film because he shoots everything chronologically. Oh, God. Well, that's what a gift that is. Isn't it? I mean, every film should be made like that. Totally. Obviously, we can. That's the hardest part about being an actor, I think, is like, we're going to shoot the last scene (laughs) first because we have to for the whatever. And you're like, what? I don't even know how this is going to go. Yeah, or I find... Inevitably, they 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 shoot the love scene on the first day. Oh my god, it's so uncomfortable! <laughs> it's so awkward. But that but that movie, what was it about Loach other than that that changed the way you you sort of because like, he and I I think I talked about this at the beginning because it's not intellectual, it's instinctual. So because there's no script, you haven't been poring over it and making notes on it and making your pretentious yeah, choices. Yeah, yeah, you just just come in and, and sometimes stuff was happening for for real that I didn't wasn't aware of. Yeah. And you're so you're just reacting completely spontaneously yeah, and yeah. completely truthfully. Right. And you're not making a choice. Right. Do you know? Right. And I love that. Right. But you do you do make choices at some point. At eventually. some point you do. Yeah. But when you when you feel that yeah. like spontaneous just your body reacting to something yeah. That that's what you want to chase down. I I think in film acting. Well, did all, but did it all sort of like fall into place for you in the sense that like you know you're talking about the history of your country. Yeah. And 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 it's there's still a tension. Like, did you did it connect you to you know something deeper? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because I found out lots of stuff about my family that they had been involved. Oh yeah. In the struggle, like way back, that I wasn't aware of. Like what? Oh, lots of little stories, you know, about cousins on my mother's side. I think um, it just it it had a it had a big impact. How uh, did you find those stories out? Because I found them out like years later <laughs> after I done oh, the movie. So people were telling you, like the yeah, family was telling yeah, you, like yeah. I don't know if you knew this kind exactly, of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. But, but, but also the thing with that that movie, you know, civil wars are traumatic, and the civil war in Ireland, like. The movie came out, I don't know when the movie came out, but up until that point, there were still a lot of people that didn't talk. It split families, you know, uh, uh, and a lot of people went to see that movie. And, yeah. And, and, but kind of interestingly, it was made by an Englishman. Yeah. Uh, you know, so he had a different perspective on it. Right. Um, and uh, I'm very proud of that movie, actually. Yeah. I mean, and that way, but you'd already been acting a long time by the time you did that. I suppose, yeah. 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 What do you, what would you consider the br- your break was? Was it 28 days later? I suppose later? so, yeah. 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 Yeah, the 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 non-zombie guy. <laughs> yeah, that movie was pretty huge. Yeah, well, it kind of reinvented the zon- zombie genre, didn't it? it got a- well, it, it, I didn't realize that. I think it. I think didn't it introduce us to the idea of the fast zombie? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think was that the first movie where they actually ran? And, yeah, yeah. Like uh, it was sort of like that. That made, that made me realize, like, all right, now we're dealing with two types of zombies. Yeah. The ones that you can't outrun, and then the ones that you can kind of poke fun at as you run away. Yeah. Yeah. And and it also it wasn't it was a rage virus. Do you remember that was what yeah, was yeah. what was so distinctive about it and quite clever. Yeah. And when you when you decide to do movies, like what what are you deciding? Like how do you decide? Just on the script or? Oh well, it's a oh god, 
I don't know. I never know how to answer this question. No, I'm sorry. Did, I, no, I asked it, the same no, no, question. No, it's no, but you know, so I was reading somewhere that Robert Mitchell looks at it and he goes, uh, location and how many days off. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, I mean, some people look at it like that. I wish I could be like that. No, I, I want to do, this is the cliched answer. You know, I want to challenge myself and work sure. with great people. And, sure. But that is kind of the truth. Uh, um, it never plays into it. It's like, where is it and how long? <laughs> I mean, I wish I could be like that. And, you know, you're in Malta. You've got two weeks off. Yeah. Well, not even the time off, but sometimes it's sort of like this is going to take a year. Yeah. I don't work in movies that take a year. You don't? I've never worked in a movie that's taken a year. How long did Oppenheimer take? We we made that movie unbelievably quickly. We made it in like 57 days or something. Come on. Yeah, it was insane. The pace of that was insane. Post-COVID? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you really knocked it out because like, I, yeah, I'm trying to remember when I saw you on that plane. How did you begin? How did your relationship with Nolan begin? Uh, so that was like 20 years ago. I uh, I think he'd seen 28 Days Later, actually. Okay. And then we, um, we met up uh, here in LA and uh, he, for some reason, wanted me to screen test for Batman, which I think I knew and he knew I was wrong for, but I did the test. And then he saw something in that and cast me as the scarecrow. And then we continued on making. <laughs> you movies. didn't. Yeah, you, you knew it was wrong. It was the, the I Batman? don't think I'm quite the physical specimen to play Bruce Wayne. Or, uh huh. You know? uh, yeah, uh, but I mean, but like you know, like Bale, he's no monster. He's no giant. Yeah, but man, he 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 transformed himself yeah. in, into that role, and he's done many many times. I think he defined that role uh, yeah. as Batman. I wonder, you know, like I he he's your Batman. Well, obviously he was your Batman. Yeah, <laughs> but but in 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 all the Batmans, who do you like? Oddly, there's there's something about the way Michael Keaton did it that I really liked. Love those Batmans. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, because like there was something like he was like. He was like a bat. You know, he was doing this thing with his eyes. You know, like yeah. that. It was, it was something. He made this very defined choice. Yeah, he did. I, I, I love those movies, yeah. I liked the way Val Kilmer looked, but I didn't love his Batman. I actually tried on the Val Kilmer suit in the test. Oh, really? It was quite roomy. It was, it's a fucking operation getting into those things. Yeah. So they have all the suits there? Like you were with Nolan, you're like, which, which <laughs> Batman do you want to? I think the Kilmer one was the one that everyone was trying on. Okay. Yeah, but, but they have special guys that are just there. They're just Batman suit guys. Yes. <laughs> so now, do you do you put on the suit and then look at yourself and be like, "What are we doing here?" Like exactly. A, yeah, like I a kid of, that it just it doesn't fit. <laughs> it doesn't fit. I no, it didn't. It wasn't right. It, it wasn't right. Yeah. Uh, but it was I, all I was there. I was just imagine this. I'm getting to try on a suit. A Batman suit yeah. on the Warner's lot. Sure. Do a screen test for Chris Nolan. That's all there were that's all my expectations were at that time. And that was your first experience with him? Uh yeah. And then you, you get the other role, the bad guy role. The, yeah, Scarecrow, yeah. Yeah. And you kinda owned that thing. That was fun, yeah. Yeah. And what about what's it like hanging around with Bale? We didn't have that many scenes together. Yeah. You know, we didn't, we didn't cross paths that many times. Isn't that weird? People don't realize that on movie sets. It's like, I just did a movie with Jude Law. Didn't see him once. <laughs> Never saw the guy. But you can still say that you did a movie with Jude yeah, Law. Yeah, well, he was producing it. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. and he's the main guy. I only had two scenes, but like, didn't stop by to say hi. <laughs> it happens all the time, doesn't it? I know. Like, yeah, yeah you just never... But, but Jesus Oppenheimer, that was a huge cast. Oh He's, man, he saw everybody's in that movie. I know it was. It's it's an incredible. I, just, I, uh, I imagine at this point in your career, after working like wanting to work with great people, that that thing was like uh, like they were all there. I know, I know, it was unbelievable. <laughs> you had scenes with all of them, and I'd kind of forget sometimes when I check the call sheet. I'm 
shit, it's Gary Oldman's in tomorrow or Ken Brannan. You know, it was. They but, were all, that's crazy how many people. I didn't even know Tom Conti was still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Conti is so brilliant in it. Yeah. So brilliant in it. Downey's great. Good to see Downey in a, oh, like a, a role that he could sort of sink his teeth He's into. He's electric in that role, I think. So the relationship with, with Nolan is like six movies long now. Yep. Yeah. I mean, what have you learned from that guy? How does he work? I think he's kind of like, I think he might be the perfect director. You know, he's got all of the facets that you need in the perfect director. He's yeah. amazing with actors. He's incredibly uh, brilliant visually. Uh, he writes the things himself and they're made for the theaters. You know, they are like event movies, but yeah. they challenge you. Yeah. You know, I love the way he presupposes a level of intelligence in the audience. Yeah, it doesn't know? happen often. No, and he knows the audience aren't dummies and he knows the audiences can keep up and he knows the audiences want to be provoked and challenged and I love working with him and he really pushes it. You know, he expects the best from you and he he's rigorous in everything and like demanding. Um, the sets are huge too. I mean, it's the sets just, are huge. Yeah. But here's the weird thing: the sets are huge, but it feels like being on an independent movie. There's just Chris and the cameraman, one camera always, yeah. unless there's some huge, huge set piece, yeah. and the boom up, and and that's it. And there's no video village. There's no monitors. There's nothing. Oh, really? Yeah. He so doesn't use any of that. None of that. I mean, he's a very kind of analog fi filmmaker. Interesting. You know, even on Dunkirk. Mm -hmm. Man. Yeah, and I didn't see a frame in this movie until I saw the first teaser. Uh, of uh, Oppenheimer? Yeah, I hadn't seen anything. And I've never seen anything on Chris's f films until I see the fin or the trailer or the finished thing. Really? Yeah, and he, and he rarely does ADR. I've done six movies with him. I think I've done like four lines of ADR. No shit. <laughs> yeah, because he records sound really well and he... And uh, he 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 believes in production, you know, production sound. And, and he creates an environment for the actors. There's no green screen. There's no... None of that. Um, I found it to be so, like, the guy, there was, you know, it was a press screening, so it wasn't packed. It wasn't a premiere or anything. Yeah. But whoever was running, it was like, all right, this is a 70 millimeter <laughs> print on film the way Chris wanted you to see it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. and, it, and I felt like it does make a difference. I think it and does. And I was highly aware of it for some reason in that movie. I know there's other movies that are shot like that. I mean, Tarantino shoots like that. Yeah. But because you're in IMAX, you know, it, it's like, you know, it's different. The effect yeah. is different. I mean, Chris says it's kind of like 3D without being 3D. Yeah. I guess. It, to me, it just reminds me of like movies, uh, theaters when I was a kid. Just yeah. a big old yeah. screen, you know, where you feel like you're really at an event. Yeah. But, like, the, the opportunity, and, like, for me, like, as, look, I, I did one scene with De Niro in passing in Joker. Uh, you know, in, you know and I'm sure he has no recollection of me. It didn't matter. I was, a, you, know, you know, it was just whatever it was. But, you know, there is that awareness, and I imagine even though you've done, you know, dozens of movies at this point, there's awareness. Yeah, these are just people, and certainly you know that actors are painfully people. Yes, I do. Uh, but you're aware that sort of like, all right, you know, game on. I'm sitting here with Casey Affleck, mm. and we got to do this thing. Yeah. And like, I always like seeing that guy. Yeah, man, he's so good in the movie. That was great. That was a that was a big scene. Yeah. Yeah, and he came in and he was ready to go, and it was again like it. Again, all these stupid kind of analogies, but yeah. you know, it does raise your game. It does make you better when you're working with the best actors. It does, it does do that, and uh, it's 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 true. And, and this was a, a 
perfect case in point. Like you have these, some of my favorite actors in the world. Yeah. Because they all want to work with Chris. Yeah. So they all come in and they play these parts. And the other thing about the movie, I think, is because you've got a lot of movie stars in it, but every time, every character they play, they're very significant characters. So it doesn't feel like uh, uh, cameos, if you know what I mean, because they're all playing these real life characters who had a big impact and, on the world. And also, I didn't feel the movie starness of anybody. Yeah. And that's sort of a miracle. But it's just so interesting that you had to carry this movie in this in this character that that operates at a level, right? Like you know, you definitely have you're holding on to this stuff that you're talking about, and and the, his affectation is what it is, uh-huh. which doesn't you know he is who he is all the way through, and then you just all of a sudden these other actors like you got to deal with Downey <laughs> steps into this thing, yeah. and I just I imagine that you know just holding on to the character you've built. In certain moments, you have to be aware of that. Yeah. Like you're sort of like, all right, just stay focused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. But it was a joy, man. Yeah. It was a joy working with these actors. Yeah. Like I, I really felt, I'll probably never get a chance to work with an ensemble of actors oh like that again. God. It'll probably never happen. So I just, I, I, I enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah. And again, you know, we talked about like, Learning. You look at all those amazing actors. You work with all those amazing actors. You're always learning. You're always figuring stuff out as an yeah. actor. Yeah. And this was like just special. And how about the, like the Peaky Blinders? Like that's been on. Like that's like a long running show now. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, the TV version is over. Yeah. Yeah. But so was it like done. six seasons? Six seasons. Yeah. Oh, there's a movie happening. There's talk of a movie. Yeah. Yeah. And but but that experience has got to be like almost like a family. Yes, it was, yeah. Like a really violent, uh, <laughs> aggressive family. <laughs> but did you like building a mobster? Uh, yeah. Well, I've never had a chance to, to like play a character and age with a character. And so I, I played him, like I started playing him when I was 35 and I finished playing him when I was 45. Wild. It was kind of nuts. That's uh, crazy. And, and I mean, the reason why that movie succeeded again, I think, or TV show, shows, yeah. is because it's just excellent writing. Yeah. Excellent writing. There's some good writing sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens now, though? Are you like, Do you immediately start working again? I love not working. <laughs> well, that's part of the... Isn't that part of why you got into it? Yeah. But I know some actors just have to work all the time, and I really enjoy... But you got a family, right? I do, yeah. What do you do with a family? Like, did they come to New Mexico? and They didn't come to New Mexico. They came to L.A. when we were in L.A., yeah. But again, you know, when you... When you're working like that, it's not a great environment. You're just coming home. You're exhausted. You go to bed. You, you want to stay focused. You don't want to talk about the work. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it's not it's not ideal. Yeah. We, we had some fun. But um, no, I just love doing very uh, uh, boring things. You know, I have, well, like. Me too. I can spend a day just trying to figure out what I'm going to eat. Yes. <laughs> I love doing that, man. Me too. It's the best day. I, I, you're like, you get up and you're like, I'm going to go buy some stuff. <laughs> And I'm going to see if I can make this thing. And then I'm going to eat it in 45 seconds. I'm going to spend the entire day <laughs> making something. I do the exact same thing. And I'll timetable it. So yeah. I'll go, right, it's going to take me that long to get to the shop. By the right. time I get back, then I might have a bath. Yeah. And then I'll make some food. And it's For me, like a, a day is a, it's a full day's work just to enjoy my life. Yeah. But I, I like it. Isn't that? But that's excellent. I mean. I think I, so. I'm trying to frame it properly uh. like because there's still part of me that's sort of like what are you doing man you, you got nothing to do I know. <laughs> yeah and then like if you're not careful you start making phone calls you're like what do we got going yeah you know and can you like because when i came in here you were just like sitting outside and yeah 
Well, you, you weren't on your phone there or anything? You were just... No, not... Well, I just watched a King Crimson video for some reason. Oh, I, cool. I am a little... Uh, I, I have a phone problem, I think. I watched that. Do you watch that Black Mirror? The new season? Yeah. I watched some of them, yeah. Did you watch that one, the Smithereens one with Andrew Scott? You know no, that I guy? I watched that, yeah. Do you no, know that guy? I, I've worked with Andrew. Love him, yeah. Holy shit. He's a good actor, man. Right? Yeah. Well, he's, you should watch that one. It's going to make you think about your cell phone differently. <laughs> Did you watch um, the Lock Henry? Did you watch that? Yeah. One? That's good. Yeah. That was crazy. That scared me. Well, there's one. <laughs> yeah, you, you never knew who you're talking to, right? <laughs> but the one, like the the ones that are just horror, like I I don't love horror, but the ones that are very close to the bone sci-fi, yeah. where it's sort of like, oh, that's kind of happening. Yeah, well, like, yeah. I can kind of dig that. The the Lock Henry felt like a horror movie. It did, but I thought it was excellently done. Oh, sure. They're all kind of like amazingly written. But like, so what what else do you do to fill your day? I can tell you how I do mine. Uh, Do you exercise? I do. I like to run, um, play the guitar, you know, read books. Yeah, play guitar, yeah. Yeah, so. I need to read more books. Yeah. Can you sit there? That's the one thing I have a hard time doing. Oh, the phone has wrecked everything. Man, the phone has wrecked everything. Sure. I used to sit down and I would, you know, read a, read a, read a, for like three hours? Do you know what I did on the way over here, though? I read a full book on the plane on the way over. What book? I read Sam Neill's autobiography. Oh, yeah? And yeah. you just work with him, right? Well, I worked, worked with him for years. Yeah, yeah many yeah. years ago. And it's just a gorgeous, funny, delicious book. And it's kind of full of gossip. And it's just gorgeous. Yeah, I talked to him. He's a character. Was he on the show? Yeah. Oh, man. He's one of my one of my favorite people in the business. Yeah, he's a riot. Yeah. Yeah, a fucking phenomenal actor too. Yeah, he's just one of those guys. He's like surprisingly like has a a wit and 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 kind of like a, 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 a an endearing cynicism. <laughs> yes, he does. You know that that's almost surprising. Same with Hugh Grant. I talked to Hugh Grant and I I was like, oh my god, this guy's fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah, he is. Have you ever talked to that guy? I've never met him. No. Oh my god, like Hugh Grant now where he's like zero fuck guy. Yeah. Like doesn't fuck. Yeah. He's just so funny. It must be so liberating. Oh, yeah. I, I think that if you make it through all the hoops yeah. and you're okay and you're unscathed and you know where you're at yeah. and you can kind of be like, I'm done with whatever you're expecting. Yeah. And you just punch through it all. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he you know, took some hits. Uh, he's, yeah. But he's all right. Yeah. You cook too? Yeah, I do. But like, I mean, I have a limited repertoire, but I cook. Yeah. What do you cook? What do you, what's the favorite thing? <clears throat> do you take, do you take risks? Not really. No. Uh, no, really. You know the way if you make one thing well, you just keep making that. Of course, especially if it's like healthy and you know you can eat it all the time. Yeah, I, I do that. I've been doing. I've been vegan lately. So I've been trying the vegan thing as well. How's that going? <sighs> I miss cheese. Oh, cheese ter- is the one terribly. you miss. Yeah. What about you? I was never a big cheese guy, and I'm not finding that I miss meat so much. And I kind of like the vegan thing. Because you need to sort of figure out a bunch of variety. I think you have a better shot at variety than you would if you were just eating meat and potatoes. Yeah, for sure. Because there's all different things you can eat. But I start to worry. I'm like, am I getting enough of this thing? Am I eating too much of that thing? What about vitamins? I don't know how our brains got so fucked up about this the the food pyramid and the meat paradigm. You know, like (laughs) sort of like this idea that we need the meat. But I'm not missing it. I don't miss the meat. No, I've been off the meat for a long time. I did have a kind of a relapse, and I didn't feel any better. So I'm back off it again. What, oh, on meat? Yeah. What would you relapse on? Uh, venison. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Huh. Well, at least it was sort of an exotic meat. Uh, yeah, it was very nice. But, I, I, yeah, no, I don't eat it anymore. Yeah. Ethical reasons? Health <sighs> reasons? Both now. Yeah? At the beginning, it was just like, uh, it's 
there was loads of mad cow disease and all that stuff happening. Remember, yeah. and some of the catering. It was all the, fucking in movie. It was in England. Yeah, it was a bad scene, man. So I don't. I just don't do it now. But okay. I think it's just better for the planet, right? Of course, yeah, you know. And really. if you're an animal person, you got animals. I got a cat and a dog. Yeah. And you live in Ireland. Yeah. On a farm. No, no, uh, no, uh, no, by the sea, but not on a farm. No. Oh, yeah. but you, so you can just walk to the ocean? Yes. That's yeah. fucking nice. That's nice, but I don't swim. So where in Ireland would you move if you're going to move? Dude, it's so vague. You it's know, also it's very just, expensive there. Is it? Yeah. Well, isn't it expensive relatively everywhere? I suppose, but in Ireland, we've got a problem with like housing and everything. But would you well, tell me where would you like to move and I can, well, I can make some calls? Well, I know a couple people there. I, I, I need to get down to that area, like Kerry the and, West and Coast. Cork. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, Dublin's okay. But that was the other thing I start to wonder about my fantasies. It's just sort of like I feel like there's a, a sense of impending doom here that, you know, that you can't sort of escape yeah. psychologically. You know, I'm not immediately concerned that I'm going to be put on a train. Yeah. But But there is something psychically happening that's I feel go away almost immediately when I go anywhere. Yeah. Um, but I've spent a lot, I've spent a bit of time in Dublin and I drove around. I just find it all to be beautiful, but I don't know, I couldn't really tell you where, and I'm not even sure what I would do there. <laughs> yeah. It's always a question of, you know, what do you do the second week? You uh, know, yeah. or you've made the jump. And then people st start telling you like, just go, if you want to go, just go. Rent the place. Try spend it Spend a month. That's a good idea. And see what happens. Try it out. I would go in the summertime. Yeah. Um, you know, you might get a bit sad with all the rain and all of that. No, no, I don't mind that. You don't mind that? Okay. No. Well, then, well, then go in the wintertime. There'll be less people around. In the winter? Yeah. But go to Cork? The West Coast, the they call it the Atlantic Coast. It's yeah. absolutely stunning. All oh, great. around there. I would highly recommend it. It's so funny because I, like, I believe that, they're, that Irish people are generally pretty down to earth and, and, and pretty decent people. I, I don't know morally or anything else, but I, my feeling for them is that there's there's not this menace to them, you know? There's, no, Irish people are pretty laid back in general. It's so funny, though, because, and I've told this, I've, I've made this observation before, because I, you know, I spent years in Boston. Yeah. You know, doing comedy and going to school and everything else. And I really had a, a, a kind, I was very nervous around the Boston Irish because they were scary. You know, I'm, not, I'm generalizing, but they're, they're, it, there was, you know, tough fucking Irish characters yeah. in, in Boston. And, I, and I'm sure as, you know, as you know, when they, well, well, here's the thing though, like the first time I went to Ireland, you know, I saw the, all these Irish people and they look kind of the same. And so I was kind of terrified at first. <laughs> and then when they're all like, hey, how you I'm like, oh my God, they're totally different. What did America do to the Irish? <laughs> Hardened them up? I don't know. I don't Hardened know them the, up. I don't know the answer But do you know that. what I'm saying? It's I do. interesting. I, it is interesting. I've never been to Boston, so. Really? I can't offer an opinion. Yeah, weirdly, I've never been. That's like that was the that was sort of built by the Irish that yeah. place. Yeah. Huh. Well, it was great talking to you. Great talking to you, Mark. You feel good? Yeah, man. Thanks for coming, man. Uh, of course. It was a yeah. pleasure. I, I love the show. Thanks. And I'm gonna give you a a, a, a one of a kind mug. Oh man. To, to, if it's gonna make it'll make it home because you're leaving tomorrow. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you. That was Killian Murphy in an interview recorded on June. 27th. Hang out for a minute. So, folks, you'll be hearing a lot from SAG-AFTRA President Fran Drescher in the coming days and weeks. But if you're interested in hearing more about her life becoming the union president, you can hear my 2020 interview with her right now in whatever podcast app you're using. But I am. 
am relishing the fact that I'm finally at a place in my life where I'm happy to be alone. Yeah. I find that, I consider that major growth on my part. Well, look, man, if you're like a, a person that has, has had issues with boundaries or, or codependency or, or over caregiving, it just becomes like a relief at some point once you have a certain amount of self-acceptance to be like, I don't fucking need right. <laughs> to deal with that exactly. shit. Exactly. Right? And I knew when I was getting better because people would, you know, I surrounded myself with, you know, basket cases. Yeah. I needed to be needed. Right. You're addicted to people. And now I, I don't have that need anymore. And when people would start telling me the problem, once I was yeah. able to realize that um, it was my way of avoiding my own problems by giving myself a false sense of being Useful. together. Yeah. And, and you know, like right. having my shit together. Right. Being and, there for other people. Yeah. And once mm -hmm. I was able to finally admit that I'm as fucked up as you are, I tell people, you know, all I can tell you is, Find yourself a really good shrink uh, and lay on that couch yeah. and, you know. Sure. Figure it out. Who are you? Yeah, go for the jugular. Yeah, why are you fucked up? What's happening? Yeah. That's episode 1113 with Fran Drescher from 2020. We taped, uh, we taped that right before COVID shut everything down. And you can listen to that now for free in all podcast apps. Now, here's a song. It's a deep, uh, a deep cut. You know it if you know it.
Boomer lives. Monkey and LaFonda. Cat angels everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>